Hi, I'm Patrick Palmer, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background is that Favro customers are enterprises that want to be more agile, software as a service companies that want to have more flat organizations while they grow, and the game developers and publishers that want to keep their marketing and product and operations in sync when they ship on a weekly basis. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders and we interview them in this podcast so we can all learn from them. Let's go. So we are live with uh, Mark Kyle. Welcome, Mark. Good to have you back on the podcast. Great to be here again. Good to see you. I'm starting to feel like um, Joe Rogan now or something, you know, having returning guests. That's fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. For the ones who did not listen to the previous uh, podcast I did with you, back then we talked about leading creatives and you were pulling a lot of examples from your rich background, but maybe not everyone watched that podcast or know you since before. So why don't we start today's conversation around how to organize events in a much better way and learning from what you've done with film festivals recently. Before we get into that, let's just um, get your whole story because to be honest, your backstory could be kind of a whole podcast because <laughs> it's very interesting. Please just share a little bit of your journey. Okay. You say I've been around for a long time. <laughs> I have actually. I started, you know, I've led both small and large team efforts. I started in the late 80s in architecture. That's what I went to college for and studied for. But I only stayed in that field for a brief amount of time because that was back when computers and CAD and 3D was all in its infancy. We didn't really have it commercially used. And I wound up actually spinning off of that and creating a studio to do 3D and really work on 3D animation and graphics and visual effects. And I did that throughout the 90s in uh, Disney MGM Studios. We had a, a studio there in partnership with Disney Ideas. From there, I actually got out to the San Juans. That's where we're going to get into the San Juans, uh, the Friday Harbor Film Festival. I actually first, I first went to the San Juans back like before college, just on a visit. I always wanted to get back. I fell in love with them. I went back in 99, early 2000, thinking I was going to just work on my own private projects and just uh, do that. But I, I wound up getting involved with Microsoft and the Xbox original. Xbox launch, so Xbox launch titles. And we wound up doing, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit about remote work. Even back then, we put a whole together, a whole team for Microsoft Studios that was external to the studio, but it had artists all over the world in three different countries. And we were all doing and building all the content for the Xbox launch title. From there, I went to EA Sports. I was there for a little while and then went on to Director of Operations at LucasArts. And saw through the big the original Force Unleashed game. Then I went back to EA as Director of Post-Production. And, you know, after that long step, that's there. Yeah, we're now we're up to about 2010. I decided I wanted to ski. <laughs> I wanted to take some time, get away from computers, get away from the corporate world. And I, you know, went, moved to Park City and I skied for, I was there seven years, but I also wound up, you know, I love the outdoors and I wound up working as a lift mechanic and being the process person that I am, I watched mechanics struggling to how are we going to deal with all these issues on you know 75 lifts all over the mountain how are you going to deal with all this as a lift mechanic trying to do your job things safe so actually i contacted you about an old product that you had handsaw and you said hey Favreau. It wasn't even released yet, I don't believe, right? It was still an alpha or beta. And I actually used that product and built from the ground up a, a work order system that was really around remote team members because they're talking about as a lift mechanic,
mechanic, you had to be able to, you'd be up 60 feet on the tower doing an inspection, find an issue. Typically, that would take a two-week turnaround to get everything done in the old way. With the new, on your mobile, take a picture, a work order is generated when you're still 60 feet in the air. It was that kind of straightforward. From there, I went back to 99. I went back to the San Juan Islands, finally, and I got involved with the Friday Harbor Film Festival. They started in 2013, their first festival, and it's a, do a small local festival that's really documentaries around environment, social justice, adventures. It's a nice, great little festival. So we had that one in 19, which was in-person. It had always been an in-person festival. Then COVID hit. And they had organization either had to cancel or pivot to an online model. And that's what we did, actually. I moved back to Florida to be with family during COVID. And we did two years, 20 and 21, we did festivals, but completely online, which is a whole different ball of wax in ma managing a, you know, a live event. And then this year, so this year we're really excited. It's our 10th year, our 10th festival, and we're back to live. We'll have a three-day live festival as we've had in the past followed by a seven-day on-demand worldwide festival. So, you know, that market that we built, so it's a high kind of a hybrid model, sort of like Teams these days. And I, I'm really seeing, you know, the Friday Harbor Film Festival being a hybrid model. And, you know, now with this work from home and work anywhere and companies kind of coming out of the COVID era into like post-COVID, how do we manage work? And a hybrid model seems to be quite powerful. I think it's really untapped. There's a lot to kind of break down there on the film festivals, but just a few things first on your backstory. So there was one thing you said there in the beginning, you know, when you talked, when you were back at Microsoft and the launch of the regional Xbox, you know, you, you mentioned that it was a highly hybrid model. So what you're saying is that working partly remote, you kind of already did it back then, right? That's exactly right. I actually lived on an island called Shaw Island in the San Juans. There were, at that time, it's a lot more now, but at that time there was only a two ferries a day. So it's, there's only way to access it by ferry. There is nothing on that island except for homes, private homes, no businesses, and one convent at that time. <laughs> they raised goats. But so, and we had a dial-up modem and SGI comes. <laughs> so that was my base. And then I, I had uh, several of the artists that used to work for me in my previous business when I was at Disney Engine Studios, Lightpoint Entertainment. We, we were freelance. And then I would go in once a week. I'd fly down to, to uh, Redmond and go in. I had an actual office there too uh, on site at Microsoft Game Studios. So yeah, we were doing remote work. The main thing we did remotely is like all, for example, all in terms of assets, all the stadiums, all the 3D stadiums, we built those remotely. And that was one of the main things that, that we took care of in developing some uh, how crowd tech display technology and some other stuff. Yeah, so we were doing hybrid back and that was 2001, 2002. There's a lot of lot of analysts when they talk about what's been happening here with kind of COVID and remote work and maybe more hybrid work now and kind of how companies are coming out of it. And I think a quote which is starting to become kind of cliche now almost is that this was not a new trend. You know, it was something that was already happening, but for other reasons, it was more by driven by opportunity, not by necessity. And now it's become rather the norm. You know, another thing I of course have to comment on is that it's it's so cool with your ski resort example in Fabro because obviously a lot of our customers implement favor to digitalize and become more agile but since you know an avid skier myself and i remember you know you were telling you know, how digitalizing the whole process
process of lift maintenance, how much that actually impacted uptime for the ski lifts. Because it becomes very you know, tangible because when you go to a resort, okay, this lift is closed because of maintenance, it's annoying. And you, know, you were telling me that if you do a really good job of a lot of these kind of things in the summer, you can decrease how much you need to do in the winter you know, and so forth. I, I thought it was a very, very good example of digitalization. It's, it's not only about being able to work more flexible and from home, but it can also be some very pure productivity increases. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing too, when you look at it and it's, it's true then and it's now, you know, I've always looked at like a process as being super important when you're with a team and like everybody be clear on the process. And that's especially clearly important when you're dealing with remote workers, right? So, you know, we were doing that and, and developing techniques back in early 2000s around those ideas. But like the example you just gave, I think the key important thing to remember about even the Vail example, the ski resort example, was, you know, that process was basically built from the bottom up. The problem was, hey, as a mechanic, I'm not getting the information I need. I don't understand this, that, or the other. And I saw it amongst my colleagues. So I was like, you know what we do? We need to really design a workflow process and then have a tool that allows us to communicate and collaborate around these key goals. And that's what we did. And, you know, it's like remote working. Even though we had an office, so to speak, a shop, when you're all out spread out all over the mountain, you're a remote worker in a lift at 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 feet, or at whatever lift you happen to be at. And that's your office and you still need to collaborate with your other colleagues. So it was a good example for me of a completely different, you know, I'd mostly been dealing with digital assets, right? Previously games, film, visual effects. And here it was a completely analog process. It's climbing towers and, and taking photos and, and then doing, hard, you know, manual labor work, you know, mechanical work. And it really streamline even that. So I, I just it brought home to me the, how, again, how important our process and as a leader in making sure that when we design a process, particularly now in these hybrid environments, that we really understand the individuals on our team and their, their unique situations. Because, you know, office setting, you have a lot of core processes that are already built in, right? You don't have those in work from anywhere, you know, and you have all, everybody has a little bit of different, you know, your unique set of challenges and opportunities as a remote worker are different than mine. So there, it's a really interesting mix of where we are. I'm looking forward to seeing how some of the larger companies are maneuvering the landscape. I do follow your podcast because I like to hear what other, you know, what what are gaming companies doing now? You know, next year I'm getting ready to embark on a pretty aggressive uh, development, software development plan for something, uh, a product that I'm working on. I've been developing over a couple of years. And I'll have to deal with these things again. And it'll be quite interesting. So we need to talk a bit about um, film festivals because I find that to be very interesting because if we think about events uh, kind of generally, I mean, most organizations, they will organize events, you know, small scale, big scale. For example, we have an, an on-site, I mean, we're a remote first company at Favro, but, you know, here in September, we will actually have the whole team coming together here in Vilnius. Uh, and, you know, we'll have a couple of days. So that's a big event for us. But then we can also, think about let's say industry events you know we would go to you know to various conferences things like that and then maybe it's someone organizing them as, as a basically a commercial product or you know you can think about just your family and organizing a birthday party that's a big event or maybe an even bigger one like a, let's say a wedding and i think film festivals are an interesting example because in many ways it's a bit of the ultimate event because there's, there's a lot of moving parts there's a lot of stuff going on and it also has extra complexities like it's a happening which is a bit of a pinnacle thing so you, it has to look amazing you know the look and feel the lowest bar for for that is very high 
if you go to you know Venice Film Festival or Cannes or, or any of these, it's very polished. And you also have celebrities being there, you know, that might you know need extra work. <laughs> and you know, it's just a, it's a lot of lot of stuff. You know, I, you've been showing me some of the things you've been doing before. But I actually want to start in the end of productivity that we were talking about. Uh, you know, if you look at how a film festival, and you know, you can take this one you've been working on as a specific example. If you look at, you know, how much people and time and resources did that take before, and now, you know, when you've been doing this kind of in a, in a reiterated form, you know, where it's been, you know, online and, and hybrid and so forth, and you had to organize it in a hybrid way, did it take more people, more resources, or less? It was more efficient. What happened? I mean, I'm I'm so curious about the delta. The festivals in October, so our actual live festival, our in-theater festival, is coming up. So in terms of what place I compare it to 2019 and that live festival, and it is a lot of work, the actual event. I mean, what people don't understand about film festivals, it's a year-round, in particular ours. We're year-round because even if you didn't have other events during the year other than your main festival, you still have basically four main things in the festival. You have curation, licensing, then once you choose your films, your film catalog, then you have all the licensings to deal with and all the filmmakers to see who can come, who could, who's going to be. Now, now we have the opportunity to, who's going to be live streamed if you can't make it. We're going to bring you into the theater in real time for that Q&A at the end of the film. But then you saw curation, licensing, and then your whole marketing piece and then the actual event itself, and now that we're doing live and on-demand, creating an on-demand festival, a mini Netflix for seven days, there's quite a bit of tech and stuff underneath the hood that you have to feed and, and get ready. And, but, you know, so the, the moving parts are even more complex, but I would say we're doing it with less effort and less people. For example, the program guide, which is a 60-page full-color book, the content did come, you know, you know, our, our team that puts the curation together, they had all the films that, that work on the licensing, but they really came down, you know, and then all the marketers, we had our marketing relations out there, you know, selling everything. But then it really came down to two people, the copywriter and myself, to put this all together and wrangle it all. And, you know, Favreau was just, in fact, my copywriter, Ellen, she had never worked in Favreau before, ever, or any kind of like management system like that. The old way was, emails back and forth with a word document of here's the summary for the guide you know of this particular film and there's all these films and all these other things this became favro cards for everything that was going to every page and then every element on the page and then just back and forth right in right in comments back and forth we integrated with a little product called markup hero so i would get the page laid out and then for testing for basically for a testing phase we could just write on it and put it right back on the card. It was a really smooth process. So we got it done in about an actual production in less than a month and off to the printer. It'll be out here in about a week. It's been interesting, you know, this hybrid model. And here I'm in Florida and the rest of the team's in Friday Harbor. For people that um, might not see the whole scale of organizing a film festival in front of them, can you do a bit of a walkthrough of what kind of types do you have involved? I mean, who would be, let's say, on the team? You know, what would be various partners you need to collaborate with? Who's involved with marketing? Many festivals are basically NGOs, and it might be a little bit also, let's say, a project model where people come together to create it and then disperse. But in this case, as you said, you know, this is a little bit more of a year-round experience. So maybe it's a bit different for you. But if you could just walk through, you know, what does the, the full organization, including externals, look like, you know, to, to organize a film festival? Well, it's so it, in our case, you described it actually spot on for the first seven years. It's a, it's a, and we still are. 
It's a nonprofit organization. And basically, it was an event-based thing. Everyone would come together like in late September, early October in terms of getting the final event done. But the curation and things would go on uh, behind the scenes with the board of directors. And that's really what we have, a board of directors. There's nine of us, uh, five that are super, super active year-round. And now, and really the year round aspect also came actually as a result sort of of the, of the, of COVID. When we went virtual, we was like, Oh wow, we can do this online. We started doing on demand, a director series, which we have going on right now, where every two weeks we have another film. Uh, and, and then we typically earlier on before we got closer to the festival, we'd have a live Q and A with a, like a podcast here, like a, after the film, talk with the director and talk about the issues that brought up, things like that. But it's a small team, but now what we've done by getting everything within a tool, we didn't have a tool before, like Fabro, which is where we have everything. So uh, basically, uh, all the people involved, like we have someone that's just focused on volunteers. That's a huge aspect of the actual live festival is volunteers, right? Is, uh, so that we have, it just organizes all that. Then just the filmmakers and getting all the filmmakers travel and where they're going to stay and making sure they're there uh we get them here and if they're not coming how we are arranging for the live stream time based on when their film's playing um every film plays twice during the festival um so you have that aspect of it and then really the the marketing and, and the actual content is um is primarily as we're getting down to it you know digital is it's all digital you know so the organization is very thin we do come together like i said more it's a non-profit we come together at uh right before the festival and, and with and we expand with a lot of volunteers and then during the year it shrinks down to just a handful of us four or five people that run it during the week and that, that so we have time to curate you know, we're always looking for films. We find we we actually already identified. I got an email yesterday from one of the board members saying, hey, here's a great film for next year. It's coming out in four months, but we're going to we'll do it next year. You know, so we're, all, we're always looking for the next the next film. If we have someone listening, you know, who's considering starting their own film festival, what would be your uh, kind of let's say entrepreneurial tips, things to watch out for and uh, things to keep in mind? Well, I think the biggest thing, and this is something we're dealing with now because the whole model's changing. Again, this is a, a COVID thing. You know, the typical model was you would license a film for a, like a, a gross fee. Like here's, here's one fee, lump sum fee, and that's to play at the festival. When you start getting it on demand, there's whole different other aspects there. So you're getting into profit sharing with our filmmakers, for example, on online. Um, and I would say really, if someone wants to get into it and start a festival, you know, really the, you have to have people that are passionate about your particular, in our case, it's documentary film with meaning, you know, and that's really, we say that's kind of our inspire. We want to inspire people. We want to educate. We want to enlighten. We want, we really want to bring in entertain, you know, so uh, I would say just to really, you really have to get your, a good core group of people that are passionate about, about having that festival and design your process because it, there's a lot of moving parts and if you don't have those parts defined in advance you're going to miss something all right cool well um always a pleasure having you you know thank you so much for um you know visiting uh, the podcast again great to be here again it was good good to see you and uh, for all of you listening if you like this you know what to do uh, share it on your preferred social media and uh, see you in the next one i hope you enjoyed that interview i certainly did if you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favro.com. 
they will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.